Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Alexis Landau. Her new book is Those Who Are Saved. It's inspired by uh, L.A.'s true history as a refuge for artists during the war. We discuss her writing day, how she works it around family life and snatches moments when she can. Uh, also, how she researches. This is a book based on true history. How does she weave her own ideas, her own creativity into that? And we discuss how actually everything that she does outside of normal writing why that turns out to be the most helpful what i do like is that a lot of times the life part where it feels like oh i'm wasting time or you know oh god i have to struggle through this math homework with my seven-year-old and i don't even know how to do it or something you know like the aspects of those relationships and dynamics like do filter into my writing and so i think you know it's like you have to live to have something to write about. I don't know. I'm like, yeah, it's good. I have kids. They're material, you know. That is all on the way with Alexis Landau in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along to the show. It's Writer's Routine. My name's Dan Simpson. This is where we take a look inside an author's working day to learn the secrets of how they take the idea from their head and how they get those words down on paper, then hopefully get it published. This week it's Alexis Landau. Uh, she's got her second book out. It's called Those Who Are Saved. Her debut, published a few years back, is called uh, The Empire of the Senses. And it's fallen victim to a, a strange quirk on Amazon. I noticed when I was doing my research. Uh, the publication date, for some reason, has been set as uh, 1612 the year 1612, which is at least 400 years before what she's writing about. So where it should be in the contemporary novels section, it's actually in Antiques and Antiquities, which like trebles the price of the copy, uh, which maybe needs to be sorted out. The new one is Those Who Are Saved. It's all about Vera, a Russian Jewish woman in France during the war who has to make an incredibly hard decision to leave her child in safety and flees to Los Angeles. Now, it spans years and continents. It's an evocative story about motherhood, about war, about love. 
uh, and about searching for the things that you leave behind. We talk about the very first idea that she had for the story, how she researched the history and blended that with her creativity. Also, how moving helps her focus uh, and how she figured out what she wanted to say during the story and how she had to choose wisely with that or her messages would be mixed and diluted along the way. Uh, And we get into it, as we always do, with what Alexis Landau sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Where I write changes depending on the day, so I'm not as maybe... I don't know if disciplined is the right word, but um, so I sometimes I write a lot in my bedroom because it's the quietest room in the house and it's the farthest away from children. Um, And I have a little nook that sort of is like a annex, almost um, a really small office that's connected to the bedroom. So sometimes I write there. Sometimes I write at my husband's desk, which annoys him. Um, or on the bed, which is also a terrible place to write because you, you hunch over more and it's bad for your back. So um, I don't know. It's yeah, it doesn't sound very professional or even outside. I like to write outside on we have a small deck, um, but, you know, as it is in cities, even here, I hear babies crying and neighbors and then I get really annoyed. So, you know, it, it's it's a challenge, but at the same time, it can be nice to move around where you write because it just sort of, I don't know, rattles things a bit in the right way, as opposed to feeling like it has to be the exact same thing every day. Is there any part of you that does crave for the consistency though of, of, you know, your own writing space with the place that you know, so you've not got a lot more to worry about rather than just getting the words down? I mean, yes, and I do have a place like that, but it's a little odd. It's, it's a, it is an office that I can drive to. It's a conference room. It actually, it's my dad's office, which might sound weird, but he's in his 80s and he doesn't, he's not there a lot of the time and he lets me use it. And so it is my space and I'm not around other writers. So I don't feel, you know, I just hear people talking about, you know, numbers and real estate, which. I don't know anything about. Um, And so I like that actually, Uh, but it's been a little tricky with the pandemic to, you know, go anywhere or feel like I should, or, you know, I'm afraid of elevators and all sorts of hazards that weren't hazardous before. Um, But I'm starting to go there a lot now, more now because my kids are home and, you know, uh, it's really chaotic here sometimes. I'm aware that some authors enjoy like some consistency in where they write. So while you're traveling all around the house, is there something that is always the same for you or is it, you know, is it just you in the laptop or is there something creative that kind of brings, that goes with you to remind you of what you're there to do? Um, I, it's just my laptop and I do like to have my dog nearby, um, sort of like a support animal for the anxiety of writing. Um, She's this big sort of bulky brown lab and very solid. And so it's a nice feeling. Um, And, you know, it just really the only other objects that I need are, you know, tea and the books that I'm using because all of my projects are usually really research heavy. So even if I don't end up looking at the book, even just having it 
nearby, open, within reach is for some reason like really comforting. I, I get really upset when I can't find a book. I think that might be part of it. You're talking about research. What's the, 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 I guess, the first stage of your research? When you've got a subject in mind, do you tend to look up everything, throw the net nice and wide, cast it very, very large, and, and just hope that you can pick up something? Or, or, or you learn by now to be more specific in what you're looking for? Um, that's a really good question. I think when I was... I think in the beginning, I still like to cast a wide net because you never know what you're going to find. And that's part of the thrill almost. And when I used to be able to go to libraries, because I teach at USC, they have an amazing library with these stacks all, you know, subterranean. And I would just go there for hours and, you know, obviously like the call number of a certain book would then lead to other books nearby. And then I'd end up checking out like 30 books. And I think I currently have like 50 books checked out, which I feel guilty about, but there's no way to um, return them at the moment. Um, I'm like, all right, you know, I just keep renewing them. But it kind of starts with books. And then there's, of course, articles and JSTOR and all these big databases you can use. But then you're right, like it starts to whittle down um, based on the characters and what I actually need, but I like to have a really broad canvas at first and just read. I sometimes even spend like six months to a year just reading um, and taking notes and gathering and ideas and this. And then sometimes I'll start writing maybe halfway through that year, but it'll be sort of like a process that's running parallel. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I research even sometimes all the way up till the end because things come up, details, you know, all sorts of questions that I need to um, confirm. I don't know. But sometimes, you know, there's the danger of research where you can go overboard uh, and there's a never ending quality to it. So sometimes you just have to say to yourself, I have enough, like <laughs> it's time to stop and actually write. So I think sometimes it can almost be like, a method of procrastination. You mentioned having physical notes, uh, but then I would imagine quite a lot of this research is in your head. When you are there then writing it, is there some format to your research? Is there something that you can quickly call, uh, pick up to, to look up exactly what you need to know? Um, or is it kind of more just setting the scene for everything that you're thinking of? Um, I think it's both. I have like general notes and then based on the character, sometimes I just do research by character where it's, okay, all of the Hollywood 1940s research pertains to Sasha. So I'll just start, or start a file on him. And then all of the research about convents and nuns and things like that uh, in France in the 40s, that's another file. And I, I also use a lot of photographs. Um, to give me images because I think more visually. So, you know, I love like Robert Kappa is an amazing photographer of World War II and, and other wars too. And he, he, I don't know, something about his photographs really speak to me. Um, and of course, lots of other photographers, but like Getty Images is very helpful. Even Pinterest, you know, you can start your own little file and they have a lot of images like that is sort of surprising. Like they're very like arcane, weird things that you could, you know, you find 
when you dig for like two hours and then you're like, oh, whoa, this is weird, you know? Um, so I kind of like that, even though it's a little strange, you know, because the internet, it's endless. Again, you could spend too much time. So you have to also know when to pull back. Uh, when you're taking your laptop around with you, if that's kind of the only consistent thing, I know this might sound a little bit niche, um, but what are you, what software are you writing on? And also, do you have any strong typeface opinions, Alexis? <laughs> um, well, these are the things that, you know, consume me too. So I use Word, which I know sounds very, I don't know, 1995 <laughs> or something. Um, but I've been told like, oh, you should use Pages, you should use Google Docs. But I don't know, I'm just attached to Word. Um, and I like Times New Roman 12 point. Classic. Because, yeah, because that's what I had to write in for all my entire academic career. So I don't know, it feels like comfortable. And yeah, I would say that's it. I mean, I know there's probably way better software out there and I could be, it could be amazing, but <laughs> I'm just attached to the older things. Okay, well, I'm going to reframe it for COVID times because things are a little different with my kids not being in school, which used to be a great relief to drop them off and then pick them up later. Like it was like a set, you know, block of time. But now I basically don't start writing. I wake up and I, I actually have to do something physical, um, whether it's hiking or like I'm a ballet I've been practicing ballet my whole life. So I have to go to ballet class, um, I don't know, three or four times a week. It's very meditative. There's the piano player, you know, the whole thing kind of like helps me think and get into the mode of just the day. Um, and then, you know, come home, just get ready for the day, like eat all those things that you need to do. I really hate when I'm writing and I'm hungry. It's absolutely the worst because it's so distracting. So, you know, it sounds weird, but you just have to have like those basic things taken care of. Um, and then I usually start writing around one, which to me feels really late. And I don't like that. I wish I could start writing at like five in the morning, but you know, the morning is just sucked up by kids and breakfast and, you know, smoothies and dogs and all sorts of things. You know, it's just like, that's when life is like, just like, collides into my monastic tendencies. Um, so what's happening very quickly, what's happening in the afternoon then with everything else, with the, the rest of your, your life, as you put it, the rest of the clutter, what happens then that allows you to, to hunker down? I have a nanny who comes and takes care of them. Like without her, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, and yeah, we were worried during the pandemic having someone help us, but it was a choice between writing and not writing. So for me, I was like, I mean, not like I'd rather like die than not write, but you know, I had to take a calculated risk and I mean, knock on wood, it's been okay. So, you know, she's there with them. She's doing the homework. She's doing this, that, you know, whatever it is. And I'm just not available. Um, which is great from like one to six. So that's a good chunk. You know. So when you sit down at one o'clock and you and you know that you need to get this work done because it's quite a, a concentrated time, um, how good are you at 
instantly getting to it. You know, 1pm, you're there, you're on your laptop, you're on Word, Times New Roman, 12 point. Can you just bang, get to it? I mean, usually, yes, although I do like to read over maybe what I wrote the day before to kind of get in the mood or start editing like a little bit, like just the page before, just kind of like, oh, this is good or no, this is terrible. And then, yeah, I mean, just get to it, write it out, you know, whatever it is that whatever scene or moment or whatever that you're trying to capture that day. Um, And I don't have like a page count. It's more of just an hour count, I, I guess, because I don't like look at anything else when I'm writing. Like I don't open the, I don't look at anything, you know, like no email, no internet, unless I need to look up something for research, but it's really easy to fall into, you know, the internet holes where you're like looking up, I don't know, whatever, like, and they try to get your attention so valiantly, you know, as you're, you know, trying to research, I don't know, cars in 1942 or something. So it's a real, but, you know, I just see that as an interloper and I'm like, no, like, cause time is so precious. So, you know, I just, yeah. And I don't have a problem with actually writing once I'm sitting down, I think. And the same thing goes for revising. It's a sort of similar process because you're just rewriting. It's the same thing. Four hours is quite a, well, four or five hours, whatever it is. It's quite a, uh, quite a stretch to focus, to focus hard. How do you find your energy levels kind of ebbing and flowing during that time? Well, it ties back to the exercise. And I know this sounds really LA of me, but uh, there's been a lot of studies that if you move, you know, vigorously before you sit down, it helps you to focus and your brain to work at its best. Um, and I really, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think that's what keeps me focused um, is the exercise component. And then, yeah, sure, there's coffee, there's, you know, whatever, chocolate, whatever you need. Um, But I think it's just because... 
there's so much that could so easily derail me, like right outside the door. It's almost like I just steel myself against that. I become almost like aggressively focused. We'll have more with Alexis in just a sec. Very quickly, let me just butt in here and remind you if you're enjoying the show, if you've learned anything along the way that is that might help the way that you tell your stories, you get your words down. You can always help us out over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. It's probably the best way for you to support the show. It's not a lot, just a couple of dollars every month helps us keep going. It helps us keep bringing you chats with some of the world's best authors as often as we can. And it's been pretty much, well, twice a week now uh, for, for a little while. So you're getting your money's worth. With that, uh, you get some merch, you get our undying thanks, you get bonus episodes, episodes that are just for you. And there is also a way for your book to sponsor this show. So if you're if you, the, the book that you worked so hard over, if its release was yeah, kind of a damp squib, what with lockdown and everything, uh, let me give it the plug that it absolutely deserves. You will have the whole episode dedicated to your book. You can get involved with that and help support the show. I promise every little helps over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Alexis Landau chatting about her brand new book, Those Who Are Saved. It's all about uh, Los Angeles during the Second World War, how it was a haven and a refuge for European artists who had to flee. It's all about Vera, one of those people in exile. She has to leave her daughter. It's all about the heartbreak that she faces and what happens across the next few years and her search for the daughter that she was forced to leave behind. We talk about the very first idea that she had for that, how it all came from a walk to the beach with her husband. Also, what she does to get her writing day back on track when it seems to be stumbling away. And we pick things up, talking about the very start to her writing process with a new book. How does she know what's going on right at the beginning? How does she keep track of it? It ebbs and flows, but I'm either in the writing stage where it's just like the very first draft, which is kind of like this race or I don't know, it just feels much more immediate. And so that, you know, like I kind of know what I'm going to write. I have like a loose outline usually or idea. But then like with the revising, which I'm actually revising another book right now, it's a lot more like okay, there's this piece, let me circle back to that. How does that fit in here? You know, the pacing is slow. What do I do? Like, it's like a lot more like plotting. And for me, that's hard. I don't have trouble like slowing down. And so, but you really, I feel like it's important to really slow down and say, you know what, the scene isn't working or, you know, let me cut it or fix it or put it somewhere else. And that's like much more meticulous. So for your first draft that you mentioned there, it's, it's, it's this race to get it out. Um, it begs the question, what do you know about a first draft before you start writing that very first sentence? How much of, their, of, that, of, a, of a, any grand plan is there in your head for how this story will go? Um, I think a lot of times I have a general idea or direction. And, a lot, and most of the time that, that is true or you know stays throughout it's a through line but then like with this last book those who are saved um it became about so much more even though the seeds of that were in there you know I thought it was going to be more of like a love 
story, I guess, between Vera and Sasha. And then, yes, there was the mother-daughter component, but then that really became the beating heart of the book when we were revising it. And and I realized that, and I was like, this is where the tension is and the, the heat is really a love affair between a mother and a daughter and the distance and separation that they have to bear. And the male-female kind of like more conventional, you know, love was, I mean, it became less important. It was still important, but I realized like, oh, this is actually about motherhood. And then it kind of like took another turn. Um, We'll get to uh, those who are saved in some detail in just a sec. Let me just very quickly drag you back to the day. You said that, you know, you have to start at one because your morning is full of life. And I would imagine that's probably the same on the evening you know, with, with the kids and with a husband and with other stuff going on. Uh, how much does what you're working on kind of filter into that time that's full of all the other stuff? Uh, as in, are, are you good at switching off from your work when you're doing other things? Um, yeah, I mean, I do really compartmentalize. So when I'm not with the book, it's, you know, I'm not with it. I mean, it's not the kind of thing where you can like check your email or something, you know, like while you're making dinner or, you know, be still writing while you're chopping bell peppers or something. But, um, and I do try to be like, you know, fully present for them when I'm with them, but I sort of feel like that's how writing is too. Like you can't, I can't really think of anything else while I'm writing. So I don't know, it kind of works for my brain that it's not a multitasking thing. Um, but then what I do like is that a lot of times the life part where it feels like, oh, I'm wasting time or, you know, oh, God, I have to struggle through this math homework with my seven-year-old and I don't even know how to do it or something, you know, like the aspects of those relationships and dynamics like do filter into my writing. And so I think, you know, it's like you have to live to have something to write about, you know, so I I don't know. I'm like, yeah, it's good. I have kids. They're material. You know, um, I don't mean to put it like that so bluntly, but, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is there isn't, it can feel like, oh, I wish I had, you know, all day and no interruptions. And like, I was in some high tower, just like no one would ever bother me. But I think that we need input, you know, from the outside world. And it's even harder now to get that. So in some ways I'm grateful to have chaos swirling around when I step. Lastly, just on those five hours, just in the day, um, although you've said you are pretty good at really focusing, uh, not letting anything distract you, if there is a moment where you feel yourself pulling away, uh, are there any tricks that you use to, to help you back in? I mean, some writers use uh, music, some use a, a cup of coffee at a particular time of day. Is there anything like that that just kind of keep you grounded, keep you focused? Yeah, I definitely think music, but not with lyrics, you know, so um, like classical or like, I don't know, something that's not too intrusive can really help or just like, I don't know, like stretching or doing like a handstand or something, trying to get the blood into your head, you know, Um, or just just going outside for a minute and taking in the fresh air. It just sounds so basic, but it really does help. I remember I was walking with my husband 
where we used to live um, in Santa Monica, which is not that far from here. And we were like heading towards the beach just to like walk. And a lot of times when we would walk, we would talk about, you know, ideas, creative ideas, like projects. And I really wanted to, I wanted to, like my first novel was set um, during the first world war. And I wanted to like continue, not the same characters, but just sort of like this idea of like, what would the next generation of that book look like? And I was thinking, well, I will, you know, then obviously that means it would be World War II. You know, like someone born around 1918 would then be fighting in World War II. But I didn't want to write a, a World War II novel. Um, and so I was thinking like, well, what else happened and what was going on during that time? And I, I did then discover that there were all of these European um, emigres who came to L.A. And it was like literally five minutes from you know, where I grew up and they were all congregating here and creating a new community during those war years. And it was very short lived and it didn't really last into the fifties because then, you know, the cold war and the red scare and all of that happened, but it was this like kind of idyllic moment in time where LA actually had real culture and it's, it does have culture, but it was a lot more. I mean, there was like so many of them, like these, you know, amazing German writers and filmmakers and um, composers. I mean, they weren't all German, but from all over Europe. And so I was just like, really, that really fascinated me. And that was what drew me into this world and the time period. And then from there, it kind of took off. But so I'm not going to let you get away with just took off, I'm afraid. It's like, what happens next? So you've got this idea as in you've got the setting, you've got the place, uh, but it's the plot that's going to drive it forward. So then what do you do? I, mean, I guess this is about research, which you were speaking yeah. about earlier. When you've got that initial idea, what happens next? What do you think? Okay, here's what I need to do before I can write that first sentence. Yeah, well, then it was like a deep dive into research and like kind of amazingly, USC has this entire library dedicated to exile studies and a library that is... I guess, granted to them or, you know, facilitated by the Feuchwangers and they become big characters in my book. So I was literally in this special collection of the Feuchwanger library, reading oral histories from like Marta Feuchwanger and these other exiles. And I felt like, again, it was like right there, you know? And so it just took, you know, it did take months of research until I felt that I knew enough to write you know, from their points of view and the setting and the scene and all of the, that, those things. But the other thing that really gets me, um, gets the writing started is also just like really specific details that capture the time period, you know, whether it's Villa Aurora, which is this place where they all gathered in the hills, like right over there, <laughs> um, or, you know, attitudes they had and some writers that emigrated here like hated the roses in the sunshine and like the sort of cheerfulness and things like that. Whereas others, you know, kind of assimilated really well. And so just like researching those different attitudes and like even how within a group there can be a lot of disagreement and tension. And I always really like that. Like, it's not like they're all the same, you know, like some of them really succeeded here and drank up the LA 
lifestyle and, you know, others were haunted and, and couldn't adapt. And I always find that to be really interesting. So then move, moving on with the plot, uh, you, you said earlier that that first draft is a bit of a race. At what point during the writing of those who are saved, did you start to think, oh, I know what this is about. Like, I know what the plot is. I know I've kind of got my head around who these are, what's happening, how it might end. Um, I mean, I think like I always did know it was going to be about a mother searching for her daughter and that there is going to be the Hollywood sort of glamorous element that's brought in with Sasha um, and that it was going to be about assimilation and exile and identity and motherhood and all of those themes. But it was more like how what emphasis those themes have. And I think that happened when. I was paired up with my editor, Tara, who really was like, this is a story about a mother and daughter. Like, you know, some of the other things happening are distracting that, like, let's focus on that. And I think she was right. She really saw that as the emotional drive. And I have a tendency to get very like, you know, oh, but we've got to show like Sasha on set, you know, or whatever. And she was like, yeah, but, you know, let's tone that down and really focus on, you know, the power of this emotional story. And I think that was when it really crystallized for me. What am I trying to say here? And, you know, you can't say too many things or else it becomes, I think, diffuse. It's a very evocative time. I mean, when you're speaking of that era of Hollywood, especially for us Brits, you, you, you kind of, you think of really only one thing, I, just like the pic, the pictures that are painted are, are, are a very specific type. H- how was that for you as a writer, trying to convey this very romantic kind of idyllic golden atmosphere with your words on a page? Yeah, I mean, I felt like it was really fun for me to dip into that like lush glamorous world you know with Hedy Lamar and like all of these you know stars but at the same time I kind of what I loved about it was that there was this sort of dark haunting quality where a lot of those stars and directors like were fleeing from Europe so it was an interesting contrast but you know And I also just really love like film history, you know, being able to write about L.B. Mayer in his office, you know, like and my husband is um, he's in the film industry and he's a producer and he studied film when he was in his 20s and was like a cinephile. So in some ways, it's like he brought me into that world. That was part of our love affair. And so I don't know, I just really love writing about that because in a way, like he really informed that part of the story. And in a way he was almost like pushing me more to write about Sasha and this, cause like he sort of saw himself in Sasha and I was like, wait, you know, like, okay, but it's about a mother and a daughter, so. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Alexis Landau for coming on the show. You can get a copy of her brand new book, Those Who Are Saved, using the link in the podcast notes wherever you're listening. And it's over at writersroutine.com as well. 
while you're on the website, if you want to get in touch, best place you can do it, use the contact page over there. You can also do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and by giving me a tweet. It's at Writer's Pod there. Make sure you're following wherever you listen to the show as well. And next week, we're chatting to the West End actor turned writer, Hayley Doyle, all about her new love story. It's an uplit kind of thing. It's called Love Almost. She's on the show next week. In the meantime, if you can support the show over at Patreon, I would love you to do that. Just a little bit a month really helps us out. Patreon.com forward slash writers routine. And I will see you next week with Hayley Doyle. Until then, bye. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.